Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? How's your summer? Oh, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's starting to, well, I'd say it's starting to cool down, but I just don't know until I look at the, the <laughs> thermostat tomorrow. Uh, it's all over the place. So it's, it's been a little strange. How about you? Yeah, it's been like that in New York too. Some super hot, humid days. We had a weird stretch where it was kind of nice. Mm. Um, I also went to, I did go to California for two weeks. So that was nice. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, now we're back at it. We're back in the studio. And I know that you are bringing on a guest who has been here before. So this is her return visit. And that is Beth Mace, correct? Yes. Beth Burnham Mace from, from Nick is here. We had her on the podcast a year ago. We do this annual research every year with Nick that looks at sentiment within the seniors housing industry. And that's just one of the, that's, that's why we, we work together, but I mean, Nick does a whole bunch of things. So Beth, um, welcome back to the podcast. And if, you know, for folks, you know, who may not be familiar, could you just take a second to introduce yourself and talk a bit about the organization? Sure. Uh, thanks so much, Eric. And thanks, David, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, as always, to work with you all. Um, I, as David said, my name is Beth uh, Mace. I'm the chief economist and the director of the research and analytics team at NIC, also known as the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care. And for those who may not know, NIC is a 501c3 organization. Our mission is to enable access and choice to America's elders by providing data and analytics and connections that bring together investors and providers to ultimately create more care and housing options for seniors. So um, we were talking about the summer and I have to say I'm in the midst of a significant summer rainstorm here. So I hope that you can't hear the rain pattering down on my windows outside here. But, uh, <laughs> That's the way it is these days, right? It, it, yeah, exactly. The, the the vagaries of us recording this in you know the work from anywhere world. So I often have street noise from my end. So and um, yeah, it's just kind of par for the course now. Okay. So yes, yeah, so I wanted to start with um, the research because we've been doing this now for eight years, um, and I think in the past. Obviously, in the past few years, there's been, as we've navigated through COVID and and its um, effects on the outlook for the industry, there's been some some pretty dramatic uh, shifts in the survey from like 2019 to 2020 now to 2021 that I think were that you know I thought were pretty interesting. But I wanted to sort of see what your takeaways were from from the research. Yeah, thanks. Um, so this is, is totally right. It's the eighth annual survey that we've been doing together. Um, I call it the Investor Sentiment Survey. Uh, it's conducted in the summer for the last eight years. And so we have a time series of data being able to look at differences and what's happened today and what's, you know, um, how that compares to the prior. And one of the interesting things, of course, is, and not surprising, is that the COVID-19 pandemic has had the biggest impact on recent occupancy rates. And while that's not um, particularly surprising, you know, it was a big issue obviously in 2020 and again in 2021, but other issues also are uh, significant and that would be the, you know, this overall state of the US economy. Um, that had a pretty high marking this year of about 48% of the respondents indicated that, that was a very significant impact as did the state of the US housing market and as did new competing properties. 
And of course, that all that all makes sense in the context of where we are in the in the business cycle um, for seniors housing. Certainly, the pandemic you know crushed the uh, U.S. economy, and that had uh, significant impacts on demand um, as well as construction trends in our industry. The broader state of the U.S. housing market has an impact in seniors housing in, it, in the sense that it um, supports or um, doesn't support the people's interest in moving into seniors housing often because they use the proceeds of their home when they sell their home, the equity out of that to move into seniors housing. And then new competing properties and new supply. And that was another finding that while you know, certainly supply has, has uh, new inventory growth, should slow down in the future because we saw a drop in starts during the pandemic. Supply was still an, an, a topic right now in the second quarter of 2021 due to construction activity that started a few years ago. Um, I expect there'll be a, a, a quote, a lull, which would be a, a somewhat of a slowdown in inventory growth at the end of um, 21 into 22, based on the sl slowdown in starts that we saw during COVID in you know, the, the second and third quarters of 2020. Was there anything in in the sentiment survey that, that you were surprised about? Well, I don't know if surprised, but we certainly mm -hmm. did see a, um, a change in senior housing investment um, sentiment. And that was interesting. I think in 2020, uh, obviously with the uncertainty that was in the market, we saw the sentiment towards investing in seniors housing, both in the near term and in the long term slip. And with the most recent survey, we saw interest in both the investing in the short term and the long term increase. So for example, um, for investing in the long term, we saw about 51% of respondents said they expected to have more interest in investing in seniors housing, and that compares to 34% last year in 2020. And then in the near term, there's still a little bit of, of shyness, only about 37% uh, expected to see more investing in the, in the near term. Some of that is related to debt markets, because you can only really invest in most instances, not all, but in most instances, you actually have the debt or the capital there to help to partner with you to go out and do uh, conduct transactions and to invest. And we know based on this Senate, based on this sentiment index, as well as from just conversations with lenders and bankers, that they were, you know, reluctant and shy to um, so much uh, lend in 2020 due to the uncertainty. And that has changed as we've, as the course of 2020 um, shifted into 2021. And by the middle of this year, 2021, we have seen banks and lenders come back into the market. Uh, largely for mergers and acquisitions activity, less so for new development, but even so for some new development as well. So that that sentiment towards investing broadly has improved, but it's still some room to go. Yeah, I think like on all those capital market fronts, just there, it's pretty striking to look at when we asked about expectations about equity availability and debt availability and and whether or not um, we expected underwriting standards to to tighten or not and, and and things were you know last year there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people thought things would tighten and this year it kind of seems like a re-normalized re back to like numbers that let that look more similar to what we had in in the previous years yeah I think the now we have well of course I have to caveat everything unfortunately yet again with concerns about the covid 19 this time with the, right. the Delta variant. So that's a caveat on everything I'm about to say. But generally, you know, since December, when the vaccine uh, was really put into place, 
the occupancy rates and move-in rates and, and lead generation has been proved for many operators. Construction, as I said, is potentially down based on the slowest starts activity. We know replacement costs are up. We know there is some pent-up demand from consumers that didn't move into seniors housing during COVID. Um, all of this sort of bodes well, I think, for um, more positive transaction activity as we as we uh, move forward. And you know, I'm anticipating that we're going to see more buyers enter into the space. When I say buyers, I'm talking about like the the large institutional buyers. I know we're talking about the transaction markets right now. Right. And we did see some um, investments, some pretty significant investment sales. Um, in the past few months with uh, the public REITs leading the way. We had Ventos, which announced in June that it was acquiring new senior investment group in a deal that was valued at $2.3 billion. Uh, Welltower announced that it's acquiring a portfolio of 86 independent living properties and assisted living properties for $1.58 billion. And those were properties that had been owned by holiday retirement. And we also know that Health Peak, which is another uh, public REIT, is also uh, selling a lot of its assets off. So the market is, especially for the REITs, partly because their cost of capital may be a little mm -hmm. bit lower right now, are active in the markets. And we also know that some of the private equity groups have a lot of cash on the sidelines to be coming in and starting to invest in the market. So the capital is there. And we have to wait until sort of the sellers decide to put their product, their properties on the market. And probably during COVID, we didn't see a lot of that because, uh, you know, there was a, it was hard to underwrite, first of all. And then they probably weren't going to get premium pricing during a, a pandemic period. But I think now we're starting to see more of that activity pick up. To your point, we, we, we conducted the survey in June. So that was, it's kind of, that that's when people were answering. It was a little bit before we got to this you know, some of it, maybe the more Delta concerns. So I think that that is, but we know we, that is noted in, in, in the methodology as well. But I think that's just an important caveat around when we actually did the survey. I think to your point too on REITs, it's just been, it, it's been interesting, not just, I think for, from seeing it in, in your sector, but just across the board, how active REITs have been in deploying capital this year. There's been a ton of mergers and acquisitions across a bunch of the property sectors. And it just, it does, I think, to me, speak to how well the REITs are managing themselves and that, that they're able to, you know, and that they have the the capital that they can kind of deploy pretty strategically now and, and not kind of in a defensive way. Yeah, you see cycles. If you've, been, if you've been in this industry for a long time, as I have been, you see cycles of when uh, REITs come in and the REITs go out, uh, private equity come in and the private equity goes out. Mm -hmm. A lot of it depends on interest rates, depends on the stock market, depends on the cost of capital, depends on the economic cycle as well. And right now, you're right, REITs are coming back in. They had, they had been in, relatively uh, inactive really prior to the pandemic, as they were consolidating and processing largely a lot of their uh, properties that they had purchased, and then they went into a mode where they were selling off those properties that weren't necessarily accretive mm -hmm. to their portfolios, and now they're back in um, strong. And it's interesting to note that a lot of the activity from the public REITs has been on the lower acuity so properties, so those properties that are less intensive in terms of the care needs. Right. So they're shifting into, um, I wouldn't necessarily say independent living, but possibly some independent living and some, maybe some active adult, but also some models where the assisted living doesn't necessarily require the same level of care um, and healthcare coordination that some of their other properties may include. And that might be part of a, you know, a broader diversification um, and segmentation approach as well. I don't know that. I'm, I'm hypothesizing there. Mm -hmm. Right, right. 
Um, you know, one of the interesting, I think, part of the survey is is where the attractiveness of the property sectors is put up. And I mean, seniors housing usually ranks pretty highly in this and and it was and we compare it to like apartments, industrial, hotel, office, and retail with the, in this particular survey. And I think this year the number for you know after again like understandably coming down last year came back up this year. And actually, I think to me the most surprising was that it actually came up the sense the score in seniors was actually above industrial. Right. That compares. That was a bit surprising to me. Um, I track a lot of the industry performance in terms of investment performance using NACRI for the National Council of yep. Investment Fiduciaries. And industrial has been the, the, sort of the sweetheart property type for quite a long time. So in our study, the um, investor sentiment survey that we did this year, industrial came out a little bit less than did apartment and a little bit less than did seniors housing. So seniors housing, overall, you have a scale here of one to 10, where one is extremely unattractive and 10 is extremely attractive. And seniors housing in 2021 came in as a seven. So a seven was better than a 6.3 that we got in 2020, but it was among the lower rates if we go back to 2015. So there is definitely improvement from 2020, but there's still, you know, a little caution, um, as which is probably warranted until, you know, we sort of completely settle through the, um, the impacts of the pandemic. I mean, occupancy rates are, for seniors housing, are still low, very low, uh, you know, at the lowest points. Uh, we do see that demand is picking up. If you look at measures that we track using NICMAP data, um, which is now being managed by the NICMAP Vision Group, um, if we look at that NICMAP data, we do see that demand as measured by net absorption was actually quite strong in the second quarter of 2021. But occupancy for the primary markets, which are the 31 largest markets that are being tracked by NICMAP data, that occupancy rate stayed flat, and that was because inventory growth Mm. occurred in the second quarter in the primary markets. Interestingly, in the secondary markets, which are 68 of the markets sort of ranked after the top 31, um, those markets also saw strong demand improvement, but they didn't see the same growth in inventory. So the occupancy rate in the secondary markets actually increased. So there is still, you know, there's a supply concern still here. The market supply was a significant concern prior to the pandemic. Um, it hasn't gone away. It's 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 less pronounced than it was before that because demand has been so much more of a of a of an impact on overall occupancy, but supply hasn't gone away. In certain markets, there's still a lot of inventory growth, and that has we have to be pay attention to that. But the, one of the questions that we do ask as well is like you know concerns about whether the current level of construction may lead to overbuilding. And it seems that that's not a huge concern. Um, at least, you know, I think it was like about 20% of the folks who answered that question said yes around whether they were concerned about the current level of construction. Yeah, I'm not sure I would totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really market specific. Mm, right. So interestingly, if you look at just from a demand point of view, so if you look at like the number of occupied units, Atlanta is a really strong market. Atlanta is a market I consider a growth market. So there's a lot of population growth that happens there. And as a result, you see a lot of uh, construction in general, not just for seniors housing, but you could do that for apartment, for a single family residential, for office, for industrial, for any property type. But the, the issue has been in a market like Atlanta that inventory gets ahead of itself. So um, as, as we know, developers are a very optimistic group. <laughs> 
And uh, they love Atlanta because of the population growth that they can see there. And But they unfortunately often over overbuild uh, ahead of where that demand is going. So there are markets that I think continue to mm -hmm. have a downward pressure on their occupancy rates because of that activity that's going on. So it's I just caution to for, for a global statement of saying right. why is it an issue because it is still an issue in certain markets across the U.S. Right. That's always an important thing about our business is that everything's everything's local. So there's I think it is useful to take the the thirty thousand foot view on sentiment, but then obviously local situations are going to vary. You know. yep. So it's important to drill down into, into a market broadly in a metropolitan area and then beyond that. So I always encourage any investor or any operator or anyone really looking at the industry to look below the surface <laughs> and to <laughs> dig deep in, in. And data is great and data is great, especially desktop data to give you a good sense. But I always encourage people to, you know, feet on the ground, even in the COVID period, <laughs> to the degree you can, feet on the ground is always important. So to always go into the markets, go into the local planning offices, really make sure you know what's going on and that there isn't that vacant parcel across the street from you that can't be developed into senior housing. So do your homework, roll up your sleeves and really make sure you understand what you're getting into when you do an investment. Uh, any other thoughts on the survey or points that we haven't talked about within there? I think those are the, the uh, big ones. I, David, you guys have a really great article up on your website that I would encourage people to look if they want more details. Beth Batson-Ting did a great job at a, a sort of covering all the, the key points. So I would encourage uh, folks to go check that out. Maybe you can put out a link for that at some point. But it was a really good comprehensive review of the, of the overall index. Yeah, we'll include a link to that in our show notes. It's also available on our website. If you go to the you know WMRE section of wealthmanagement.com and we have a special research section where it's featured. So outside of that, are there any um, highlights, you know, from from Nick that you wanted to talk about? I think you have your 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 conference coming up. Yes, we do, and hope to see many of you there. It's in Houston in person on November first, second, and third at the Marriott Marquis. Uh, we got some great speakers lined up. Uh, our keynote would include um, Larry Summers and uh, Paul Krugman. Um, oh. We're going to be battling economists this week. So, <laughs> so I'm an economist, yeah. so of course I'm really excited about that. Yeah. But a good lineup of speakers. And, and when we put the agenda together and the content together for the program, it's not just us sitting in our you know offices deciding what would be important for folks to hear about. We pull together probably up to 20 industry leaders who sit for many hours deciding what are the topics that should be talked about. And then the industry leaders then choose the speakers that they think would be most appropriate to be discussing whatever that specific topic is. So it's a really well thought out um, program. So if you really wanna know sort of what's going on, latest trends, uh, things to be excited about, things to be concerned about, it's a, it's a great opportunity to go and hear all that directly from the people who are like making it happen. <laughs> Yeah, and and is this the first in-person um, event since COVID that that Nick is having? Well, uh, the last person was was just in the nick of time. Oh, yeah, nick in time, I guess. Um, <laughs> was March of 2020. That's right. That's right. Um, and literally, that. it was about three days after we it was in San Diego, and a few days after we those on the East Coast who got back home, we all are all of a sudden in, in lockdown, which we of course only thought was going to last a week or two, but here we are. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's yeah. That's, that's what it's been for all. I, I don't think any any one of us expected that we'd still be in August and still doing some some mix of 
um, work from anywhere. I mean, I've been able to go into my office more a few times recently. So for, for the first time in, in a, in a, in a long time, but, um, yeah, I'm a little worried about, I mean, I must admit, I'm a little worried about the, the Delta variant now. I've been mm -hmm. stories today I've been reading, um, you know, people slowing down back to office, um, strategies and, um, things like that. And we actually track using data from CMS. We track really carefully what's going on in terms of um, infection rates and vaccination impact at the skilled nursing level right. uh, because we have access to that data from, from the CMS. And just today, which is the 19th of August, as we're talking about this, there's a, a blog we just put up looking at the impact of what's happened since the uh, Delta variant has, has come into the market. And, or not come into the market, but has has sort of reared its head, and mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's the case counts are starting to increase largely in those areas where people have not been vaccinated, and largely in those properties where there haven't been universal vaccination rates. Although we know for skilled nursing, the federal government yesterday came out and said that vaccinations will be mandated for staff. Right. But there's a direct correlation between lack of vaccinations and increase in, in case counts. The good news is that in most cases, um, the majority of residents have been uh, double vaccinated. And what we're finding is in those breakthrough cases that people aren't uh, necessarily needing to go to the hospital. And um, they're not nearly the fatalities that we saw um, prior to the vaccinations when they were introduced in December of 2020. And now I guess there's also been the guidance on third doses. And I know that, um, you know, facilities played a big role in, in rolling, rolling out the vaccinations to the residents when they first came out. Is that also going to? Yeah, I think they'll have priority. I think that the, at least my reading is that the um, third dose will be provided to people sort of sequentially mm -hmm. um, from those who were first vaccinated to those who were later vaccinated. You know, we know that folks in uh, nursing homes and, and uh, senior housing properties were given prioritization for first doses of the vaccine. So they will also, I, I believe, um, will be the ones who will be first given the opportunity for third doses as well. Any final thoughts on stuff that we didn't touch on? Yeah, I was just, I, I try to do this. So I was doing my time, just a shout out to those in the industry. Um, mm -hmm that are frontline staff to those operators, to those managers, to those capital providers that were side by side, to those debt providers that were side by side through this enormously challenging time for our industry and our country and our, you know, our, our citizens in general. A big shout out to those workers, hospital workers who really have gone, you know, beyond the call of duty to help. And now they're going back in, you know, double time again. So just a shout out and just deep respect and awe for the people that are really working hard to try to get this horrible pandemic behind us. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I cannot agree more. And, and I do appreciate the fact that you, uh, that you always make a point of that being part of your message. We had a webinar recently as well where you, where you, did, where you, where you do that. So I think it's, it's important. And, th and thanks for everything that, that Nick has been doing too. Absolutely. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a challenging 18 months, uh, might be another challenging few months, but I do see light at the end of the tunnel. And again, the, just the agility of our industry to, to respond in as quick response as possibly can happen has been really, I'm in, I've been I'm thrilled and privileged to have been an honor of all the people that have worked so hard to make this happen. Well, thanks for coming back on the podcast and talking about all this stuff and we'll do it again next year. My pleasure. Anytime. Take care. <laughs> Bye, David. Bye. Bye, Eric.
This has been great information and a great message as well, Beth. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming back on the podcast. David, of course, thank you for bringing her back on the podcast. And our last thank you goes always to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Commentary Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 